Deezer Originals. You're listening to the Strong and Stable podcast. Before we start this week's show, we would like to send a message of support to everyone affected by the fire at Grenfell Tower and the attack at Finsbury Park Mosque. The thoughts and love of everyone at the show are with you. Now, it's time for Strong and Stable. Strong and Stable, 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 Strong and Stable. Hello, I'm Marcus Brigstock and welcome to this week's edition of Strong and Stable, another week in which the British have shown that we won't be bowed by terrorism but we will fall apart if there's more than two sunny days in a row. Joining me in the studio this week, we have a journalist who writes for the Sunday Times, so her first comment today will be free to listen to, but the rest will be hidden behind a paywall. It's Camilla Long. (laughs) Next up, a comedian whose Edinburgh show last year was called Simply the Best. No, sorry, it was called Simply the Best. That's the Tina Turner lawsuit off his hands. It's Richard Herring. And finally, fresh from doubling his Norwich South majority at this election, with, we're fairly sure, even the city's most famous son, Alan Partridge, switching from Tory to Labour, probably because of the plans to pedestrianise Norwich city centre. (laughs) It's Labour MP Clive Lewis. So, welcome, everybody. First of all, how are you? Uh, Hot. Okay. Quite sweaty. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm very, very tired, Marcus. I've got to, uh, woke, woke oh, up. Rich. Yeah, it's because I'm heavily pregnant. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> For people listening, we should say uh, Camilla is expecting uh, her first child in hopefully before the end of the podcast. Yeah, yes. that's, during, we can... I'm going to, yeah, I'll, I'll push the boat out. Um, you must no, have called it a boat. No, sorry, no, I won't do that. I mean the opposite of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll keep it in, hopefully. Okay. Very good. Okay. Well, let's kick off with Brexit, a nice red, white and blue one that seems to have turned a deep shade of brown. Yes, Brexit negotiations began with the EU in Brussels this week, and while the government went into the talks insisting there can be no changes to our Brexit plan because there isn't one, the British team immediately proved themselves to be unable to take back control even of the negotiating timetable. Our chief negotiator, David Davis... (laughs) Oh, sorry, he really is. Wow. Our chief negotiator, David Davis, meanwhile, has said that he's determined to achieve a Brexit deal that works for the whole of the UK, forgetting that the deal that would work for the whole of the UK would be staying in the EU. So, what do you make of Britain's negotiating success so far? Clive, I think we'll come to you first on this. That seems reasonable. Oh, I, I don't know. It's, 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 it's far too early to say. Um, but I, it doesn't look good. Um, I mean, Theresa May may well want to say, you know, in the Monty Python Black Knight style, it's just a flesh wound. But the bottom line is she's been, you know, severely decapitated as anyone who can go into those negotiations with any semblance of authority. And that's bad for all of us. It's bad for the country. It's bad for the city. It's bad for the various sectors of manufacturing. Everyone now, I think, is concerned that, you know, Michael Barnier is looking at her and he's got his knife and fork out and he's, he's, he's kind of sharpening it. And mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't look good for us because she has been fundamentally weakened. Camilla, do you think, I mean, given the Tories now have lost their majority, lost lots of their credibility, do you think they can make a success of these negotiations? Well, I think Theresa May is going to hang on by by her nails for as long as she can. I mean, I think the idea that we're going to we're going to see a whole change in three months' time is probably not going to happen. I'd be surprised if she didn't hang on till Christmas, which will mean I think they're currently in bunker hiding mode. 
um, waiting for the political climate to change. And it will change because things can change so fast. Mm. But they're, they're definitely, <laughs> I mean, as we've seen, you know, many times in the last uh, six weeks. Um, so I think it's a waiting game for them at the moment. Mm. And they're hoping that nobody notices <laughs> that they're just waiting around for the, for the climate to change and mm. people want to and, and, and will forget that the election has been a total what, catastrophe. What do you think... The- the, the kind of climate change could be. I mean, because obviously the, the ticking time bomb is the economy. And I think the yes. longer they wait, the worse. The whole one of the reasons for having the election, according to when it was, was because I think they to knew there the was economy. going to be some kind of economic turmoil. 2022 would have given them the chance to be able to, yeah. you know, got past that and started a recovery. But now it looks Well, look, like, I mean, today yeah. you've got these these um, figures are coming through saying that the economy is worse off because of Brexit. I'm not sure how much I believe that or, or whether it's, you know, going to be a long-term thing. But I think as soon as people start realising that it's impacting their daily lives, that it, they'll be... Well, there's, there'll a be very, there's a very good article rage. on... on uh, mm. I can't remember who wrote it, sadly, but about the poll tax and the community charge mm. and how that all went through and no-one really bothered and was worried about it until they suddenly saw the economic repercussions yeah. of it and at which point they're all rioting in the streets and I just think that exactly the same thing is going to happen with this people are, are all, you know, I don't, I don't understand, it's not a mandate in any sense, no. it's, a, it's nearly a draw followed by an election that says no we don't want you to have a hard Brexit so yeah. it's absolutely just befuddled on tour. I know there was some discussion about doing (laughs) Brexit jokes on tour. I did a few, but the thing that really resonated with my audience was that we should never have been asked to vote on this subject in the first place. It wasn't our decision, and and, and we didn't know enough about it. The politicians don't know enough about it. No one knows enough about it. No one knows what's going to happen. So it's insane. Would it have been unreasonable to make people sit an exam before answering that particular but, but, question. No, it should have been a political decision. What it is, we're being, play- we're being played by, you know, the Conservative Party trying to st- seal up its divisions and the mm-hmm. Labour Party trying to seal up its divisions as well and to some extent. And it's, the, it's about the parties, it's not about yeah. the people, which What's... is what is which I think increasingly is what people are noticing. I, I Politicians think... are trying to do what they think people want and then the people come back and go, that's not what we want. I think for people listening, obviously uh, th- this is not, at the moment, even-handed, so I'm going to try and even it up a bit. I think there is a good chance economically that Brexit will mean that Britain suffers. But I do think when people see uh, and are able to hold in their hand a blue passport, it'll all seem worthwhile. <laughs> yes, silence. yes that, that'll be and definitely. Then, you know, bananas are definitely bendy still. And in a much, much, much <laughs> longer queue, a separate longer queue at all European we're airports. We're good at queuing. We're, we're, we're good at that, aren't we? Well, no, people will have people time are... then to reflect on, <laughs> on sovereignty and how important it is. Just in that, in that and, you know, queue. The point that Al Murray makes in his show, which no one I've seen anyone else make, which is a brilliant point, is that being in the EU gives us, you know, we get a decision about what happens in Europe. It's not just about Europe deciding what happens to us. Yeah. And I, by being not part of Europe, we now they we don't get any say in what I happens in Europe. I don't know what newspapers <laughs> Al Murray's been reading, but it's certainly not the British. Strong and stable. During the election, during the general election, it sounds weird to say during the general election it's happened, but during the general election there was one thing, one positive that I did see come, one silver lining, which was I was speaking to a lot of young people and they didn't tell me whether they voted or not for Brexit or against, but most they were Remainers. But whether yeah. they voted or not, I don't know. But what they all uniformly said was what that vote did, what Brexit vote did, the referendum, it made me realise that my vote 
actually matters. Yeah. And I know that's something that you applies to them. It a year too late. <laughs> well, well, no, well, I mean, let's, well, you know. well, not in this general election they didn't. And what, it, what I think it's reminded people of, I think there's been a kind of atomization over the last kind of, I don't know, 30, 40 years of kind of the individualism that's kind of, kind of permeated through our society. And people kind of think, well, I only just one vote. It doesn't make a difference. But I think what Brexit showed people across the political spectrum, across the class spectrum, was that your vote actually does matter and it can change things. And these young people said to me when I was campaigning, I may or may not have voted, in that, but I did see how it can affect my life and how it can change things. And I'm going to make sure I vote this time. And that's, mm. I think, in part do why you, there was a big surge. We do just... you think that, that Corbyn did so well because people were voting for Corbyn or against Brexit? I think there are so many factors that make up why we did as we did. And Corbyn is definitely one of them. I think right. there are lots of reasons for that. You know, the way he's been treated, uh, he's an outsider, an establishment. There's all those factors. But there's also things about people who lent their votes. There's the kind of the division between Remainers and Brexiteers and people feeling that actually Labour was the best chance to stop a hard Brexit, which was obviously the kind of the big danger for a lot of Remainers. Um, so I think it was a kind of... One of the problems, I think, for my party at the moment is there is this... there is. Some some lazy thinking going on what won it for us. I think Jeremy Corbyn was uh, essential to winning it, but I think there are lots of other factors uh, I, I in there. I should point out, think you didn't win it. No, yeah. yes. <laughs> you came at, so, you you know what? Came a very credible a, and second. sometimes it feels like it. So, yeah, so Jeremy Corbyn did. Jeremy like Corbyn got us to within, you know, got us in you know, 40% yeah. of the vote. And I think, but yeah. It's, so, I mean, it's so, it was so extraordinary. <laughs> I mean, to go, and you know, it's not even the polls. It goes from a local elections which showed where Labour were, Mm. Six weeks, whatever it was, before the general election, it was even closer than that to the general election. The turnaround was incredible, yeah. and so it is so complex. It's about so many things, yeah. and in fact, if it wasn't about so many things, Labour might have won because it, you mm. know the Scottish National Party losing some seats to the Tories throws things uh, in a different yeah. direction. You know, and that's about something different. There's so many things so many piling places. in on uh, on this. Uh, but just an interesting development, funny enough, on the Brexit negotiations. I, I read this morning that Nigel Farage has had a BBC interview chair surgically grafted to his arse for the next two years. He will have just a permanent slot at the BBC. But we will leave Brexit there. Um, Now it's time for us to hear from the woman who's providing strong and stable leadership for the whole country. Yes, it's the Queen. Let's go over to Buckingham Palace to hear the first draft of her speech for this week's state opening of Parliament. My Lords and Members of the House of Commons... Apologies for the delay to my speech this year. My government could not find the skin of a helpless animal on which to print the official documents. They should have looked in number ten. Seriously, I am told there was no goatskin available on which to record today's proceedings. I blame the nanny state. (laughs) Oh dear, do see what one did there. As a result of this delay one has been forced to forego one's usual outing to Royal Ascot, although my government's recent election campaign has provided one with ample exposure to also-rans who fall at the first hurdle. Talking of lame old nags who are fit for the knacker's yard, my Prime Minister, Theresa May, has provided one with an assurance that one will still be able to get away in time to see the races. But then she assured one she wouldn't call an election till 2020. So one is taking that with a Lorna handbag full of salt. However, given that my task today is to lay out my government's legislative programme based on what's left of their election manifesto, one should be out of here faster than my government doing a U-turn on dementia tax. So, without further ado, my government regrets to announce 
but sadly there is no magic money tree to pay for increased support to the elderly, unless the elderly in question live in Buckingham Palace, and my government will continue with its Brexit plan, or as one calls it, the Planus Horribilis, so in short, one is going to the nags, and the rest of the country is going to the dogs. Many thanks to Her Majesty there, which is what Jan Ravens insists on being called these days, and frankly, who can blame her? Strong and stable! Well, in a week that's made you wonder whether we should turn the world off and then on again, the main story has, of course, been the horrific fire at Grenfell Tower in West London. Was the extent of the tragedy exacerbated by government cuts, local council failings? Was it because of a refusal to impose regulations and a disgusting lack of concern for the poorest in our society? Nope. As the Daily Mail helpfully made it clear, it was caused by an Ethiopian taxi driver's faulty fridge. They even managed to find an old photo of him on holiday with a drink, acting almost as if he didn't even know this was all going to happen. Theresa May's failure to meet with residents on site was blamed on security concerns, or as they're more commonly known, ordinary people. Jeremy Corbyn, meanwhile, has argued for property to be requisitioned, causing many Tory MPs to go on the defensive, which is very easy if you live in a castle, apparently. So, uh, Camilla, what did you make of Theresa May's response? I mean, first of all, has the criticism of her been fair and reasonable, do you think? I think it's been fair. Whether it's been entirely reasonable, I don't know. I think she did make a mistake on Wednesday by not immediately engaging with the problem. And um, you'd, have pro- you'd have thought that after the election and, and, and it being a moment for her to show leadership, it would have it would have gone a bit better um, or gone at all. And the idea that, you know, she sort of went down there and didn't even meet people was pretty appalling, only to be upstaged by nearly everybody else, including Ad- Andrea Leadsom. Mm. So I think, yes, I think she did, she did play it badly at every... And, and also, and the, and the real thing, I think, is that um, never mind about her turning up, because I'm sure we'll get into the emotional correctness of whether she should have cried on camera or not. What she didn't do was immediately arrange relief and have, you know, supplies coming in for people who'd basically lost their homes in the last 12 hours. But even three or four days later, I mean, she was so out of kilter with it. So even when she finally says, we're going to give money for clothes and food, but I live in Shepherd's Bush and all the people in Shepherd's Bush and and North Kensington and everywhere around West London had just got together and and already produced enough clothes for 10,000 people. There was, Mm. everyone was turning stuff away. We'd already done all that. Mm. We need, you know, she needed to... There's something kind of, sort of, you know, um, a bit grisly about just offering a, a cash package yeah, to somebody, you know. Well, it's awful. Was, that by that stage, it was we need to work out, hey, what's, you know, if, if, if she'd gone down straight away, she didn't need to say, we'll work out what's happened. That For the moment, that does not matter. Yeah. We need to make the people safe. We need to, you know, mm. make sure the, the firefighters are, are, mm. are fine and, you know, we need to we need to sort all those things out. If she'd gone down there, then people, I mean, she could have actually turned everything around for her, but she did the same I mean, exactly the same thing she did in the election, election. which which is what lost to the election. Really she stayed, she did that interview with it was Emily Maitlis. She did the interview with him, yeah. and Emily had been down helping out and was very emotional. Yeah. And it's not about crying; it's about just being a human being and just like not going in with a fucking script. I think you know people often accuse politicians of being out of touch, um, and some are, and some aren't. You know, and you can generalise, but I just think if you if you look at 
Theresa May, and you can see she's a, she's a human being. She clearly feels for these people. I have no doubt about that. I can see that, and I, I have no reason to believe that she doesn't. But I just believe, in terms of, you can either blame her advisors or you can blame herself. But she just that was just called so badly. It, mm. you know, clearly there was a point where someone said, "Are you going to meet people here?" Mm. And at some point, someone and the buck does stop with her said, "No," because there could be scenes where there are people becoming very difficult. There could be boos. There could be jeers, and that call was made not to do it. And I, and I think. You know, she'll regret that for as long as her political career lasts. And she didn't join with the debates, and then she should have learned. It's better, you know. But this is if you do, if you don't, you better to do. But I guess, I guess, the kind of the 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 programming within her is such that, and Mm -hmm. no pun intended, but the programming within her is such (laughs) that she couldn't. She, it, it, it's something that is alien to her. I mean, if. I, I'm not. I should make that clear. If if I were advising Theresa May, um, she won't even answer my calls. It's extraordinary. <laughs> but in well, this vacancy, in this I particular mean. situation, her chief of staff, as I understand it, was responsible for uh, implementing some changes that w- could have made a difference to this. It's quite possible that the end result of the inquiries will show that um, the policies of austerity have made this worse. It seems likely that Kensington and Chelsea, which is a Conservative council who's sitting, who are sitting on a £300 million reserve, spent £5 million on the opera and have built 10 social housing homes in their borough in the last 28 years. Uh, her foreign secretary, when he was mayor of London, made massive cuts to the fire service and when told that could make things dangerous, said get stuffed. I'm not sure politically that there was any there was anywhere to go for Theresa May on every level. I I think it's reckless to suggest that uh, that at, at this stage that the extent of the fire, the blame can be put squarely in one place or another. We simply don't know yet. But everywhere Theresa May turned, and the Conservatives, it seems to me. This is, on some level, they're involved in this. This was not just a terrible accident. Do you think it was Theresa May or do you think it was the Cameroons? Because I would say, I would say it was, and that was, it was right on their Mm. doorstep. I would say they were a bit more responsible for that, given that they were actually in power at that point. Yeah, yeah. I I think it's deeper and more systemic. Mm. I think it goes to an ideology, call it what you want, Thatcherism, Reaganomics, neoliberalism. But it's an economic, political a philosophy um, which basically mandates people, the environment, as units to be squeezed for mm. for profit. Yeah, I should say uh, that <laughs> Strong and Stable is predominantly a comedy <laughs> podcast. I hope that listeners will understand why the laughs have been um, <laughs> as sparse as they quite rightly have well, been I'm, on I'm this particular topic. I'm trying to stay awake topic. at the moment because every time I go to sleep, I wake up and something terrible Something happened. awful happened. So I'm, yeah. I'm just trying to stay awake <laughs> the whole time. Well, trust in politicians <laughs> is running at its lowest since uh, nearly an hour ago. Um, <laughs> interestingly, Jeremy Corbyn said that property should be seized and, by way of example, has moved into number 10. So uh, <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Uh, now it's our post-election summary from Jonathan Pye, the reporter with his ear to the ground, his nose to the grindstone and his throat never far away from a pint of pissy lager. Jonathan, over to you. (coughs) Is this on? Yep. So, right, sorry, you want me to sum up the last four weeks in roughly two minutes? Sure, yeah. Piece of piss, Marcus, because, you know, nothing much has happened. All right, some things have changed 
And some things haven't. Pulitzer's in the post, right? All right. Uh, Theresa May, or Terry Mayhem, as she's now known, has changed her job title from Prime Minister to House Sitter-in-Chief. Is it, it's like a murder mystery weekend at number 10 right now. We all know who the victim is going to be, and it's not so much of a question of who done it as who will do it and when. She's also changed her motto from strong and stable to I got us into this mess, I'll get us out of it. It doesn't quite have the same ring, does it? Perhaps she should try I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. For God's sake, someone get me out of here, please. It's not pretty, is it? I mean, she really got it in the tits for not meeting the victims of the Grenfell fire. But seriously, I don't know why everyone was so angry. I mean, Lily Allen was on hand to answer questions about social housing policy. So what's the big fucking problem? And, you know, the victims and their families, they don't need state intervention now. Because, you know, Simon Cowell is going to make a charity single. Problem solved. Uh, What? What else has changed? Yeah. Tim Farron's gone. Yeah. Uh... Doesn't doesn't really feel like we've lost a big political beast, does it, really? M- more a medium-sized political stoat or, or, or badger. D- something you'd kill with a spade. Yeah. What? D- don't forget to ask about his religion. Why the fuck would I mention that? Why would I take the piss out of someone for having a different belief system than my own? As far as I can see, this man has not in any way allowed his faith to interfere with his voting record, which on LGBT rights is exemplary, and that's good enough for me. Can you imagine if Sadiq Khan quit because of his faith? People wouldn't be quite so quick to fucking mock, would they? Nothing gets up my chuff more than liberals having double standards. Um, and well, Some commentators are saying that the election result will hail a change of heart on Australia. But there's no change there, I'm afraid. Not with Jeremy Cockney rhyming slang Hunt still in charge of the NHS. That isn't a change of heart unless you're changing the heart from a stone to an ice cube. Um, something else that has stayed the same, the media. Still keeping a level head whenever the world goes to shit. Oh, no, sorry, different universe. I mean, why bother asking serious questions and demanding serious answers when you can instead turn into a 24-hour rolling grief porn channel? We spoke to someone earlier who has lost everything, including loved ones. Let's watch them cry. And then name and shame them for having a dodgy fridge. OK, anyway, ready for some substandard make-it-up-as-I-go-along political commentary, Marcus? Yep, OK. Jonathan Pye here with an in-depth look at the... Strong and stable. Thank you, Jonathan. And now it is indeed time to talk about that political stoat himself, Tim Farron. Yep, Tim stood down as leader of the Liberal Democrats this week to the dismay of the 48% of the population who actually knew who he was. I'm annoyed I just managed to learn his name. Yeah. Really had. It took me that long Mm. by the end of the election. You'll be all right. Come on, Tim. Come on, Tim. Doing his very best REM impression, that's me in the spotlight, choosing my religion, Farron explained his decision by saying that he had to be faithful to Chris. No, sorry, that should be Christ. And was determined to show that he's as committed to his beliefs as the next man, provided the next man isn't gay. Joe Swinson, meanwhile, has demonstrated that she has all the maturity and good sense that would make an excellent Lib Dem leader by choosing not to run for Lib Dem leader. She's also a woman, which, of course, rules her out anyway. Was Tim Farron right to resign, Rich? Um, I mean, I don't think it matters, does it? No, it probably <laughs> it not. It doesn't really matter who's in, who's in charge of the Liberals. I mean, I mean, you think he could have stayed. I don't think it would have made much difference. I think they're a kind of spent force. Unfortunately, a spent force. If they couldn't get anything out of this election, you know, mm-hmm. I think they're... they're then there's there's not really any hope for them. I think I, th- mm. I just think the mistrust of them goes goes too deep. But it's, you know it's a weird thing, isn't it? Just anyone who wants to be the leader of a political party should not be allowed to be the leader <laughs> of the political party. Um, and he seemed a decent enough guy, but mm. he was 
it was just so wet. And, and really, just I think in a week's time, you'll say, who was the last leader of the Liberal Party? And mm. I'll go, oh, I can't remember. Yeah. Clive, who do you think would be a good leader? For I was thinking of Jo Swinson, but she's just ruled herself yeah. out. Um, and it'd be nice. It would be good to have a woman as um, you know in, on the Liberal Democrats. I think it'd be the first time. So have uh, someone who isn't a ginger-haired man, wouldn't it? Just for the first <laughs> time in about five, five decades. I think she. No, anyway. So yeah. Um, so I, I. But you know, look, I know Vince K. I know him to say hello to and so on. And I think he's a he's a very competent, capable individual. Yes. I think he has some gravitas as well, which I think Tim was lacking. And I think we can be very unkind about Tim. It's bloody difficult being leader of a party. And unfortunately, I know a lot has been made about the play on um, his faith, but actually he bet the house on a Brexit vote and it didn't particularly materialise mm. in this election. But did they, though? They seemed to come in and then suddenly go, oh, we're, we're, we'll be soft Brexit. So, you know, I think if they just come in and said, we're going to have another referendum. Well, they did. But, but, they, they, but they, 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 then they, they sort of pulled yeah. away from it straight away. But it, just you know, wasn't, so. it, just, it wasn't the issue. I mean, obviously, in parts of the country it became an issue, but more in the remain in the, in the Brexit areas, in a lot of remain cities, I think people got behind it because people expected there to be a, a Tory landslide. People got behind what they saw as the best, you know, many Liberal mm. voters got behind what they saw as the best opportunity and tactical voted and got behind the best opportunity to stop that, which was, in many cases, the Labour Party. And as, that, as the Labour Party campaign picked up and gathered momentum, they, you know, they found it easier. He, I think he had a massive opportunity and he squandered it because he was a div. Full stop. <laughs> on, that, on the question of, of yeah. sin and gay sex and that stuff. <laughs> on the question of Brexit, I think that okay. he, he, had, he had a huge opportunity to turn it into... Because now we're looking back on the general election. It's, 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 it's much, much, much more about Brexit than we thought it was. And, uh, but then and why he, didn't he, the Lib Dems do better? Instead of the Labour Party taking over... But he, but exactly, but I, think part, I mean, if you look to leaflets that came out, the ones that dominant, the only leaflets I got that came through my door, I mean, it was obviously had funding issues, but the big issue... Was it was just about it was an attack on Corbyn. Just to clarify on on that point, you said about a leaflet coming through your dive, uh, your door, Clive. Do you also get people knocking on the door and asking if they can rely on your vote for, uh, for another party? I, I have had that happen before. Oh, yeah. how long do you keep do you them say? there before you tell <laughs> well, them? Well, normally within the first fifteen to twenty seconds. They know oh, right mate, no. But, but that often used to happen when I was a bit more of a low key, just a candidate before I came. But um, they it, might it's... talk you around. You never know. We'd be yeah. pretty impressive, wouldn't you? I've well, managed to convince well, the Labour candidate. To vote for, my for housemate the, would answer the door. Give. My housemate would answer the door, and they would talk to them for five ten minutes, and I would jump out and go, "It's my house." <laughs> there was a very pleasing tweet from Nihal Arthanayag. I hope I've pronounced that correctly. I probably haven't, I but he said, "So Vince, <laughs> no." Now I'll go again from a chap called Nihal. Uh, Going yeah, to keep it right. informal. He tweeted, "Savince Cable is seventy four years old, which means by the next general election he will be seventy four years old." <laughs> <laughs> um, are they a menace to the left wing vote? Do you think, uh, Clive, the, the Lib Dems? I mean, would you? How much better do you think Labour would have done if the Lib Dems had just gone? Look, we're just not going to run anybody. That would have been fantastic. Um, it would have been great, but obviously that's not going to happen. I mean, are they a menace? Well, in a first past the post system, you know, any centre centre left, you know, centre centre left parties are fighting over hmm. many of the same pool of voters. Um, so that means that there will be winners and losers on that side, and ultimately those on the centre and centre left of politics will, compared to the Conservatives, who have managed recent in recent years, nonetheless, to sweep up and mop up the right side of politics, hmm. uh, means that you know disproportionately we're going to lose out so they are they are an impediment to the Labour Party but mm. you know there are lots of Liberal Democrat voters that say well Labour, the Labour Party are an impediment to us yeah, sure. and that's the whole that's, that's the, that is the conundrum of the first past the post system and for progressive parties to be able to kind of get over that line it's strong 
and stable. Finally, following the revelation this week that 30% of Sun readers voted Labour, the other 70% are still looking for page three on the ballot paper, we thought it was time to discuss the role that the media has played in this last general election. When it comes to old media, the power of the newspapers does appear to be waning, although TV remains important, with Corbyn faring well in that arena due to his improved performances and May faring less well due to her lack of showing up, or indeed showing up and then being Theresa May when she got there. But social media is the real battleground now, and it seems that the left are winning there too, which isn't surprising, perhaps, as they've always wanted to seize the memes of production. (laughs) Guys? Yeah? The memes of production. I don't get it. Nothing? No. No, I'll write it down and explain (laughs) it. Uh, Camilla, your best place to answer this, I think. Is it really a case of old media versus new media now? Um... I think that's what people want it to be, but uh, I don't really feel like that. I'm on Twitter, but I also write a column in a national newspaper. Mm. Um, I think, you know, it's all methods of communication. It's a bit like saying when radio came in, uh, sorry, when television came in, it was going to kill radio, but Mm. obviously they exist in two very beautiful and different forms. One of the problems for me on the media as a politician isn't just the kind of overt and in fact, you know, the Sun and the Mail, I think, you know, the fact that 30% of some readers vote Labour kind of says that the people who read it read it for other things. They might, they might, I know people who turn to the Sun and go to the back page first. I know people who do it for the, you know, for the crossword, whatever. The people that buy the Sun for a variety of a reasons. A lot of Daily Express some, readers just do colouring in. <laughs> yeah, there's, a, there's lots of reasons you buy that paper. And I, I just, to me, though, the far more kind of almost sinister pervasive element of um, journalism, modern journalism, is the fact that it, it sets out a narrative. And it, it's it's a very subtle, it's almost transparent. And I've seen it on the BBC, I've seen it on ITV, I've seen it on Sky. It's it's the lack of questioning of, of certain assumptions, certain assumptions that are made and aren't questioned. It's which, what is what the news, the news agenda, what is news and how they're defining news, what's important, what's not important. And I think that's far more subtle and that's far more corrosive mm-hmm. to the body politic. Now, as a fourth estate, I think the role of media, by and large, is to challenge power. I was a journalist and that's what I wanted to do. I wasn't always able to do it because sometimes because of news values, sometimes because of what was considered news and what was not. Um, so there are a whole whole range of reasons. But I think one of the key things about the new media that's coming out at the moment is that it is the kind of embodiment of so-called citizen journalism. Do these people really break lots of news? I don't think they do. I think they're opinionators, they're dis- which is, which is a very narrow... Yeah, but they don't check. They don't check what the what whether the news but, is but, real or not. You but, know? But, but, because but, they don't have time, because all they're doing is sitting behind their computers, wanking into their screens. There is is also there's a there's a peculiar thing and I do not understand why broadcast media still holds print media as um, as their seniors on a regular basis you'll hear on the today program you'll see mm. on question time on newsnight yep. they will say according to a report in according to the editor of blah 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 for me the biggest stories apart from brexit and trump the biggest story is the panama papers it's way more interesting than MPs' expenses. Way bigger, way bigger. And there is so much material there. Where is it? Yeah. Where did that story go? Because if tax avoidance in the UK were not happening in the way that it is, austerity simply wouldn't be necessary. Not in the terms that it's in now. That story is not there. Those stories disappear. And they disappear always in favour of these poor people took more than we think they should. Yeah. 
Uh, and that's, that's uh, just across the board. And I really look forward to the day that someone on Newsnight or whatever begins with, there's a story in uh, such and such a paper, which is of no interest to us. Here's what we did uh, in, in, in an of, uh, well, that's our real, own... That's how everything works. Everyone gets the paper still and, and does strange that. But, it does, but it's the same thing with politicians. People don't trust politicians because of expenses, because of, a, you know, a few people. It just takes a, a couple of politicians and then people go, all politicians are the same, we don't trust them. And it's yeah. so unfair on the vast majority of hard work. Right. I'm being just, told we're out of time. Oh, no. uh, I, I'm not sure why. I mean, the, the, <laughs> ours is the first generation. Yeah. Yeah. It's ours is the dark overlords <laughs> here on the internet. It, We've got too close to the truth, but it's mainstream it's media conspiracy. <laughs> I'm, I'm absolutely. I'm being dragged out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> Help me! Get these people off me! This is strong and stable. Okay, predictions. Before we go, I'm going to ask you all for a few predictions. Where will the major parties be in the polls this time next year, Camilla? Oh, oh my gosh. God, that's a bit like. I Come mean, on. Okay. You'll have a baby by then. It'll yeah. be nearly one. This will matter. Yes. <laughs> will you be um, okay? I have a horrible feeling we'll probably be in exactly the same position. Uh, Clive, who's going to be our Prime Minister this time next year? I'm an optimist. I think that um, that we will be in a position where we will be potentially able to come to power. Um, I think what we do know is that things flick from one side to the other. It can twist and turn. Mm-hmm. But I think that there is the worm is turning. I think you mustn't get carried away with it. Um, but I actually do think that if a steady, if there's a steady hand on the tiller, um, I think if we sit back and wait, the Tories have created a terrible mess for themselves. Uh, I think it's about yes. sitting back and waiting. And if I think, the, the, you know, the, the chickens will come home to roost. And which, uh, which cabinet position will you be? Sorry, I'm just <laughs> actually, my wife has told me I'm not going on to the shadow, onto the cabinet. Um, she's told me that I'm going to spend the first few years of married life with her. And okay. um, so wow. there you go. Mm. I get so you're, you're spending more time with your family before you're leaving. That's pretty, uh, That's an unusual way around to do it. Andrea Ledsom, yes. Amber Rudd, David Davis, <laughs> Boris Johnson... Uh, or another, who do you think will be uh, Prime Minister when Theresa May <laughs> finally... Oh, my God. I just hope it's not Boris Johnson or Michael Gove. I mean, I can't see them wangling it. Um, I don't think... I, I, don't, I don't see it happening. I mean, I think probably David Davis seems to be the one that, you know... I think he's got a very punchable face, and it looks like it's been punched quite a few yeah. times already. OK, quick fire round. <laughs> Rich, Amber Rudd or Paul Rudd? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's got to be Paul Rudd. He's, he's somehow managed to stay the same age for yeah. 30 years, hasn't he? Yes. I'm not saying Amber Rudd hasn't. Sure. <laughs> Camilla, extreme Brexit or extreme breakfast? Oh, extreme breakfast. Always delicious. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Strong and stable. Just before we go, we would like to say thank you to everyone who's left us a review on Twitter, Facebook, or wherever you download your podcast from. We'd particularly like to thank Rusty Shah, who wrote, Good to hear a mix of views in episode one. Bob Mills plays the part of my 76-year-old mum exceptionally well. So if any of the guests today have reminded you of any of your family members, <laughs> do please let us know by leaving your own review. It means a lot especially if it's nice and that is it from us i have been marcus brigstock as
as I will continue to be for the rest of the afternoon. And this has been Strong and Stable, a podcast produced by That Lot for Deezer. Huge thanks to our guests today who have been Clive Lewis, Camilla Long and Richard Herring, and to the brilliant Jonathan Pye and Jan Ravens, of course, and also to our writers, Andrea Mann, Robin Flavel, Dan Bowman and James Martin. Most of all, though, thank you to you for listening. While we're sad to say this is the last Strong and Stable of the series, no, really, don't worry, we will be back with more jokes, rants and political nonsense later in the year, as will our politicians, no doubt. So don't forget to hit subscribe and keep your eyes peeled and your ears readier than when David Dimbleby announced the result of that exit poll. Until then, thank you and goodbye. That was Strong and Stable. We'll catch you next time. Please subscribe. Strong and Stable is a Deezer Originals production. You can find and download more episodes on Deezer and all major podcast providers. Deezer Deezer. Originals.